your melodies like a symphony. We burn the sand inside a fire. I just need a little mercy, mercy on me. I just need a little mercy. Hey guys, welcome back to Block Channel. We're back for episode 42. Um, not really anything crazy to announce at the start of this episode. Uh, very excited about this season, though. Uh, very have a very diverse pool of individuals coming on this season uh, in regards to various different dApps, um, protocol initiatives that are going on in the cryptocurrency space. So that cadence is going to continue. Uh, I'm joined by two of my favorite co-hosts, Erica Amatori and Dr. Corey Petty as well as our guest today, Arjun Bhuptani, CEO and one of the co-founders of Connects. Um, and full disclosure and disclaimer, I'm also an advisor for his company and have been for some time. So now we're all here today as a family. Um, so uh, as I stated, I'm here with Dr. Corey Petty and Erica Amatori. Uh, Erica and Petty, do one of you guys just want to go ahead and just uh, introduce yourselves to the audience, please? Sure. Uh, so as Steven said, my name's Erica and I am the co-founder of The Bit, which is thebitdaily.com. And I'm Corey Petty, host of the Bitcoin podcast, as well as Hashing It Out. And we're coming up on the big 50, Mackie. We've been doing this for a while now. The big 5-0, man. I'm really excited about that. That's like, it's weird when you think about it. It's like 41, 42 episodes, and it's like, shit, that's a lot of time. Out of nowhere. <laughs> in front of my computer when you really add it up. Um, but yeah, so I, I, I'm excited to be back again um, this week to talk to Arjun specifically because uh, I'm really excited about what he's working on towards scaling. Uh, so in order to get the party started, uh, Arjun, can you just give us a backgrounder on your history, more so like how you found your way into the crypto space, what originally piqued your interest and kind of like what it's like keeping you here to sustain you and then we'll actually move into the discussion about your company. Sure. Um, huh. So how I found my way to the space. Um, so I was about a couple of years ago, like I think like fall of 2016, I was really interested in UBI, uh, Universal Basic Income, um, uh, more so like rather than looking at it from a policy perspective, I was looking at it from like how do we reduce the cost of living for uh, the vast majority of industries and, and really the, the answer to that is like disintermediation. Um, so uh, from there it was kind of a natural next step to start looking at Ethereum and blockchain. Um, uh, I was introduced to it just kind of by way of, of like osmosis, just being in uh, San Francisco, uh, there's enough of the ideas floating around that that it, it just kind of happened naturally. Um, you just walk around and bump into a blockchain. It's crazy. Basically, yeah, <laughs> that was quite literally what happened. It was just it was just walked around, and then I was talking to people about these ideas, and someone was like, "Well, actually, have you heard of Ethereum?" And I was like, "I haven't, um, actually." Um, and uh, and and then it's it's just been uh, pretty. Uh, it just kind of got sucked into the vortex after that. There was there was no looking back. Um, uh, I started Connext uh, quite a bit of time later in like the May in like May of uh, 2017, uh, basically because I tried a bunch of other projects in the space, and every single time I'd run into the same basic issues, which were that uh, no matter what kind of DAP I tried to build, no matter what kind of product 
uh, I tried to use, it was it was just very very difficult to use for most people. Um, uh, there was, it was I had a really hard time convincing my non uh, crypto non blockchain friends to try any of any of the stuff that I built, and I found that incredibly frustrating. Um, so that was uh, the the goal back in May 2017 was. I want to help make it so that dApps can be used by my mom and by everybody's moms, uh, because that's really when you have mainstream adoption. Um, and uh, and so that that was the the way, as as you mentioned, the way that we originally started out doing that was uh, was trying to find ways to uh, make it possible to purchase tokens directly with cards. Um, mm-hmm. uh, that turned out to be a, a really really big challenge that we're still kind of hacking away at very slowly. Um, but then, since then, we found that there's also a lot of other ancillary value um, that that is that is like surprisingly uh, something that's that's remained very unsolved right now related to scaling. Um, so that's so, um, started looking. So you actually just sort of like found your way, stumbled into Ethereum, hearing about it from a friend just recently in the past few years, and mm-hmm. one of your first initiatives was, hey, I want to build some really dope shit on this. And you're like, hey, guys, look, look at this dope shit I built. And they're like, oh, well, wow, this stuff is really dope. Too bad I don't know how to use it. <laughs> so, so then your journey began. That's a, that's a, that's a good way to get started. Uh, so yeah. let's, let's, yeah. let's sort of like focus and hone in a little bit uh, on connects. And we'll, we'll go from there and just sort of like try and distill down things further as we move along. So, so connects as a whole, um, you know, you started as a payment processor. Give us a little bit more detail behind that and uh, around your motivation and then kind of what you're working on now concurrently. Yeah, so uh, the idea behind it was to solve the problem that I was having for this other app that that, that I built called Village, which was like it takes a whole village. It was just basically a crowdfunding app for for like grants, for like nonprofit work. Um, and uh, we just we needed an easier way to make the crowdfunding possible. Uh, it was just it was just way too difficult to to convince people to go buy ether and then convince the like the entity that was receiving the grant to go make a Coinbase account and cash out that ether. Um, so we were trying at the time we were trying to figure out a way to integrate Stripe and to integrate you know like any other sort of payment processor and it, it really just wasn't happening uh, uh, because all of the payment processors. And they're they're still kind of doing this. All the centralized payment processors were just very are very very against anything in this ecosystem. Um, the goal behind building our own payment processor was to say, okay, at some point, uh, didn't realize that this would take longer than than it really took a lot longer than we expected. But at some point, these things would have to be usable. Uh, like mm-hmm. at some point, in order for these ecosystems to exist, people would have to be using these DApps as products and not just as like speculative investment. Um, that went on a lot longer than we thought it would, um, and so that's that's part of the reason why it took us so long to really do anything was that we we didn't there were there were really no DApps that were there was nothing to like <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> um, uh, so uh, that kind of that was that was the impetus behind it though was was let's let's separate out speculation from usability and make usability the 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 important thing that people are are beginning to focus on and that's starting to happen. Now that's a that's a that's, I think that's the right thing to focus on. But as you've I, I would imagine as you started to focus on these things, you've realized that if you want everyone in the world, if you want your grandma and everyone's grandma to use these things, you're going to have a real big problem with scalability. And 
that ends up meaning that the underlying infrastructure, the actual blockchains that enable these things, are probably going to end up becoming something like a settlement network, which requires layer, layers on top. And where we currently stand, that's not the case on how things work. So we have the current state of how things work, which is most most everything interacts with the base layer blockchain. And then the way we see things happening in the future when everyone's grandma uses this stuff and we have layers in between. How do we get from point A to point B? Yeah, that's a that's a good question. Um, funny enough, that's actually the exact question that we found ourselves presented with uh, when we started going to companies and being like, hey, like user, like we want to do cards with you. And they're like, well, we're not going to do that until we can fix this issue. Um, uh, so I don't think it's, so I think there's, there's a lot of research being done towards how, what are the best mechanisms to provide layer two scaling solutions. Um, right now it's a, it's kind of like this like research race for optimization. Um, but there is surprisingly little implementation. Uh, and that is what we noticed in the market. That's uh, that's kind of how we started doing this Ethelate stuff is that there's almost nothing, like every single implementation that has been done is being done by a company that already knows a lot about state channels and is building an implementation just for themselves. Um, there's nothing that like the average DAP developer can use uh, and, and integrate into what into, into their stack in a way that's like easy to do. Um, and further, all of the documentation that exists related to state channels and even, even payment channels, which have been around for a while now, all of the documentation that exists that exists related to that is centered around what happens on chain. So the contracts that you put on chain uh, are, are very, very well developed. Uh, people know now that the, the things that you really need are some, some way to lock on chain state. Uh, you need some way to, uh, to handle like the, the dispute at the end. So some, like the, when, the, when the settlement period happens, handle uh, any sort of dispute that happens between the parties. And then probably some sort of state transition function that you record on chain just for the sake of like verifiability, uh, what that but that and so that that part of it is very established. Um, we found next to no documentation on, at all on how to handle the off-chain part of the transactions. And interestingly, with layer two trans layer two solutions, off-chain is where everything is at. I mean, that is where the vast majority of the work is. Um, so that the uh, to answer your question. Uh, I think the way that we get to that paradigm where people are using the blockchain as a settlement layer rather than as the primary means of transaction is commoditizing the off-chain infrastructure that you need in order to use layer two solutions in the first place. Like the, the on-chain parts of it, like contracts and things like that, people will continue to improve. And that's not something that we like see any point in, in like, doing research into because there are plenty of entities like L4, uh, like Spankchain, uh, you know, the, uh, like like Raiden that are, that are researching how better to do that. Um, but what we see is there really needs to be a, an easier way for the, the vast majority of developers to, to integrate this stuff as well. How do you feel being a project that is smaller with a smaller team compared to a majority of these in the crypto space with all these individuals that are highly capitalized to raise all this money and a good bit of these projects are literally depending on research and future products and services coming from people like you to make their entire business work. 
How do you feel about the guys that have raised, you know, seven, eight, ten, eighty, hundred, fifty, three hundred million dollars, and they're going to use your open source software or pay you in the future to actually work? Uh, well, I mean, it, it's a good place to be, <laughs> uh, yeah. because uh, I, I would much rather be the entity that is like providing the the like critical painkiller that you need in order to make your business work than be the entity that is looking for a painkiller, even if the entity that is looking for the painkiller has a ton of money. Um, uh, so there is like, there's a, it's nice to know that there is a huge market for us. Um, that being said, it, it is, you know, it is like obviously intimidating to be in a position where like there's, we are a very, very small team. We haven't really hired anybody and we, we did that as like a conscious choice. Um, and, uh, and so it's a little intimidating to be dealing with entities that are like startups, but are already have team sizes that are like 10 to 15 times bigger than ours. Um, uh, just because, you know, it, it does make it more, it's not, it's not as much of a, okay, we're just going to talk to their, like their founders in a small, like three person, five person meeting room and just like hang out and, and, you know, shoot the shit and then like figure something out. It's more of a, okay, now we're actually dealing with the company. Um, so I think, I think there's, there's definitely like positives and negatives to it. Yeah, that's really interesting. Um, I'd be curious to know kind of what sort of regulatory issues you run into and what roadblocks you may foresee in the future. Yeah. Um, so regulatory issues, uh, the vast majority of the regulatory issues exist on the payment side and not on the state channel side. Um, uh, on the state channel side, we're trying to make sure that we're just a technology player as much as possible. Um, on the payment side, uh, though, we... We actually initially started out with a regulatory innovation. So what we did was we found a way to um, take the exact same payment processing like architecture that Stripe and Square use and port it over to a like a blockchain paradigm uh, and do so in a way where we're still allowing, you know, for like Visa, uh, Visa credit card chargebacks. Uh, we're still allowing for like AML regulations to exist and things like that. Even though you're now dealing with a paradigm where uh, everything is anonymous and uh, transactions can't be re reversed. Um, so that there was like there there have been regulatory challenges there, and there will continue to be regulatory challenges there. Um, I would say on the on the state channel side, it's much more simple. Uh, we just have to make sure that like what we're doing is is providing technology to a company in order to make their ecosystem work, and we're not acting as like a financial intermediary because that puts us at risk of being a money transmitter. Um, and we do that by making sure that we're setting up hubs for other entities and we're not actually like holding uh, collateral for them in order for them to transact with. This is something that I've, I've kind of seen becoming a, uh, like the proper way to build things in a blockchain ecosystem is that uh, in order to, I mean, to protect yourself, and because the majority of the value is held by the end users or the end nodes, in order to build something that's useful, that actually has actual utility in a blockchain ecosystem, you basically have to find a way to allow people to transact without ever actually touching anything. Oh, touching anything. Like <laughs> yeah. it's, 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 you're building like stateless transitions yep. and enabling people to do things without ever holding what they're doing. And I, I think that's an important paradigm to, 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 like really hold on to because it's almost the exact opposite of the problems we're seeing with things that have been built, the monoliths 
of yep. companies that exist today. Yeah. Um, now it's important to note though that there is this is this is one of the big places where your personal financial risk differs strongly from your regulatory risk. Where mm -hmm. uh, you as an entity can have like risk that is associated to your finances and it can be very very low if for instance if you're like a decentralized exchange that is non-custodial you have theoretically no risk because you know if you get hacked it doesn't matter you're not holding on to any any anybody's tokens um it's just that you have service outage uh from a regulatory perspective it doesn't matter like you regardless of whether or not you're holding custody they don't really see it as being an issue because you're facilitating the trade and for from their perspective that is the same as holding custody um so it's important to remember that that those two types of risk are actually discrete. Um, that was something that we had a hard time dealing with because uh, a part of the way that we had structured our system was like, okay, we're just not going to touch anything, and so we're we can't be legally liable for anything if they're if we're not touching anything. But it turns out to be the case that uh, you know regulators don't necessarily see it that way because they need some sort of entity to take the responsibility. Sometimes. Is that is that a, is that a product of the times, or because they don't quite understand how this how this technology works? They need a scapegoat in order for their, their for their existence to continue to exist, or is it something that like like does the buck need to be passed to somebody, or will we get past this because like the technology allows us to? I think the buck needs to be passed to somebody. Like that's it's that's unfortunately the case that that is the way that the paradigm has worked is that. In any sort of financial transaction, they need some responsible party. And the responsible party can't be the end user because then that implies that the end user has no no right to then say, hey, my I lost my money and, and, and like what is somebody gonna do about it? Right? Like we we've we've shifted into this uh like like uh, I guess this like equilibrium point where um uh it's normal for a consumer to be able to have some sort of party to blame when something goes wrong with a financial transaction other than themselves because then they're able to like reverse the transaction or whatever and we're going to have to move consumer behavior towards uh, like away from that um, which is going to be pretty interesting and and before we move consumer behavior away from that we're going to have to help regulators understand why moving consumer behavior away from that is actually better for them yeah uh, can you talk about how you're generalizing your platform to more use cases? Because you know, like you just integrated Escalate um, with your platform and um, did an example with MoneyShot. So, how are you planning to um, cover more use cases throughout? Yeah. Um, so, basically, what we wanted to do was just uh, ship and push something out at, that would be as basic as possible, that would be usable for like some use cases, um, bi-directional payment channels, which includes all of the one-directional use cases, um, actually cover like about a third, or maybe, pro okay, I would say probably about a half of, of everything that happens on blockchains right now, which is like payments and exchange. Um, so it's kind of cool, because like even with the most basic use case, we, we have like a ton of, like a pretty large potential market. Um, to really capture all of that, we need to add some additional bits of functionality that bring us up to speed with like other entities in the space, like MicroRidden, uh, and like other like like uh, implementations that have been built by by entities for themselves. Um, those things would include things like hash locks for multi-hop transactions, um, uh, 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 like uh, ERC twenty support, um, like bounties to make it a little bit more decentralized. 
in the future, I would say the, the direction that we plan on heading is towards generalizing more towards state um, rather than just payment. Uh, there are ways to do that. Um, all of the state stuff is still heavily under research. So what we would probably do is we would try to generalize the off-chain infrastructure to be contract agnostic, which means that the off-chain infrastructure that we would provide would pull down the contract from on-chain, uh, use the contract, like maybe one way to do it would be to, to kind of break the contract down into a state machine and then run the state machine locally on both of the clients uh, ends and then use that like to, to play the game between the two clients. Uh, and the great thing about doing that is that no matter what uh, state channel contract you use, regardless of whether it's for like a one directional payment channel at the most basic case, or if you're playing like chess, or if you're playing some sort of CryptoKitties card game, or if you're playing, you know, like it, at that point it doesn't matter because the, the off-chain infrastructure would theoretically look the same. It's just basically a mini version of the yeah. EVM that you're running between two parties. I see this as like, I feel like uh, this is what Counterfactual has tried to do with like their uh, the, the state channels that exist between them, and it's it's almost as if we're not really going to do anything on chain, but we're going to pretend or at least like uh, threaten the possibility of doing something because we can do something on chain. And then so that the, the relationship that exists between two parties, the client and business is based on a potential to do something and not so much actually doing something until the business is concluded. Right. Yeah. And so, so like, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. And so counterfactual instantiation is, is kind of the, the, that's the, the core idea behind uh, what a lot of the, the generalization research is going towards right now. Um, and I, I think you explained it really well, which is that it's like there is the threat of something, there is a threat of some sort of punishment. And usually the threat of a sort of punishment is enough to make it so that the, the actors don't really want to incur that punishment in the first place. Um, that's why you don't, like, it's not like you go and, like, I don't know, like steal stuff to see if you can get away with stealing stuff. Right, you you know that that there's that threat of punishment that exists, so you don't rob a bank because you know that like robbing the bank would get you into prison, and the the punishment is bad enough that you're like, okay, I probably don't want to risk it. Um, so the the idea behind it is that the 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 kind of percentage of instances where people are willing to push those boundaries is so low that you can effectively not have that actually happen on chain at all except in those very, very few select cases, and that lowers your effective gas cost dramatically down to like a tiny, tiny fraction of what it would be. But this, I think, is, is another instance of an on-chain optimization, right? Like this is an instance where it's like, okay, you could either use like one deployed, like two, uh, like one bi-directional deployed, uh, uh, bi-directional channel uh, that is deployed on-chain and pay the gas for it, or you could counterfactually instantiate, instantiate uh, this bi-directional channel. And the difference between them would be like a gas cost of a dollar or something like that. Now, obviously over time that builds up, but from our perspective, we're saying we don't really care which one you use. Um, we're the, once you move off chain, once you really like completely separated from all of that, the gas cost issues, once you move off chain, 
the process to run that bidirectional channel is going to look exactly the same, regardless of whether or not you confirmed it on chain or, or not. Um, and so, so our our approach to it is to say, we really think the research that's being done by L4, uh, sorry, by by the counterfactual team and by Sipang Chain on counterfactual instantiation is super super awesome, but it's deeply technical research that we just don't like. Like we we might help contribute to it, but we don't see that as being like the core part of the business or the core part of the value prop that we provide. Does that make sense? I mean, yeah, and of course that also makes sense too that, you know, uh, given like kind of like the low level complexity of some of these these projects that are, you know, have like not really, really ever been done before in practice and deployed into production, uh, it's important that everyone is now collectively, it seems, coming together as an ecosystem to use their like specialized differentiated um, uh, like expertise to like kind of coax these sort of things along. So counterfactual, L4, Spank Chain, all working on counterfactual instantiation. Eventually that tech and like that expertise trickles down to you where you apply mm -hmm. your ability to improve the UX of it. So, yeah. I mean, I kind of just think it's just like a natural evolutionary phase as Ethereum, the root chain concept itself and off chain mechanisms are further explored. Um, so I think this is just the appropriate stepwise procedure to create secure mechanisms and architecture to like actually deliver on the types of scalability that we need. Mm -hmm. And I think, I think what you guys are doing and trying to improve the usability of what everyone else is working on makes it so it's more modular and plug and play for the next company that comes along. Yeah, absolutely. I kind of see it as what? like, you guys are like, based on what I've heard from this conversation and I, I don't want to, this is the first analogy that came to my head is like, you guys are kind of like the WeWorks of the blockchain. We're like, we don't really care how you get here, but you're going to do a lot of business here. And then once you're done, <laughs> we can, we can move it back to the, like the main chain, right? Yep. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Yeah. Kind of exactly like that. It's just, it's more of a, we're building the supporting infrastructure that you'll need. Um, if you really find some sort of state channel implementation that is highly, highly efficient and saves you, you know, like, like, you know, instead of paying a dollar, you're paying like two cents. That's amazing. We hope you open source it so that other people can benefit from it as well. But our ideal end case is that no matter what implementation you're using, you can use our technology out of the box to handle everything that happens off chain so that you can focus on writing Either if you want to write a better implementation, you can focus on writing a better implementation. If you don't want to write a better implementation, if you just want to use somebody else's, um, you can focus on building your DAP. And and you 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 just integrate our like the way that our JS client works right now. It's just kind of a uh, an npm package that just sits on your front end, and it it uh, it just generates signed state state updates uh, on behalf of your users. Um, and, and handles all of the, the complexity of, of managing state transitions, verifying states, uh, it, we like handling the dispute period. We even, uh, to make it easier, we even like text you when your, when your uh, channel is about to enter into a challenge period or if, or if uh, there's a valid state update that you, that you could push that you haven't pushed yet, um, things like that. So in that way, you know, even if you're not around your computer, hopefully you can still be like, aware that there's stuff going on with your money. <laughs> What are some potential kind of like lesson learned that you lessons learned, excuse me, that you pulled from 
this process of learning kind of what the what the product needs are for companies in the ecosystem and what was a what was maybe like a common occurrence that you saw that was deterring a lot of these projects from being able to work with you initially? Um, the ecosystem itself had not matured to that point where they were really thinking about it. Was everyone still just sort of like feeling right for making all that money and popping champagne? Like what's, <laughs> what do you think happened? A little that? bit of that. Uh, there was definitely a little bit of that. I think uh, a lot of people were very focused on their ICO and very focused on their, their fundraising more than anything else. Um, I, I think uh, generally lesson learned is, is like build first, raise later. Um, but I, I understand that, you know, we were in a time where it would, it was pragmatic to raise, uh, because, you know, it's always a good idea to raise money when it's easy to raise money. Um, uh, I would say the, the lesson learned from our perspective on like, uh, the things that DAPS like were thinking about and, and maybe perhaps should have been thinking about was that, um, I think a lot of a lot of these DApps are more concerned with usability now than than most people expect. Uh, there is just a ton of space for for user experience improvement, um, and there's not enough people working on it. Uh, and I, I so that that was one thing that we learned was that like there are plenty of companies with a lot of money now that are sitting around waiting to pay people to to solve these problems for them. Um, so you know if you are a uh, uh, young entrepreneur in this space, it's a it's a good time, uh, and uh, and then the other thing I think that that uh, the companies really learned is that it is better to focus on the scaling stuff earlier rather than later because it it's most people think of like scaling being an issue when you're in the growth stage, and I think in this industry with blockchain it's way way earlier. Nice. So what's coming next for everybody to look forward to? Or can we get to learn more? Um, so we... And when's uh, Mike Tyson coming? <laughs> uh, that's a good question. Uh, I don't know. Well, where, where, did, uh, where did that audio recording come from? I'm still trying to figure it out. It's, been, uh, it's made its way through social networks. I think we... Hey so guys, we, we Mike Tyson here. <laughs> <laughs> we, we took a little bit of time. <laughs> Uh, I think I think he needs to make a guest appearance at some point. We uh, so we we've been we've been working on Money Shot uh, pretty pretty intensely. Uh, we ran into uh, a few few issues here and there with both our own implementation, which is I, I guess a, a good thing because we found a lot of the problems that other people would have found down the line uh, when when they went to implement our technology. Uh, but then we also found that there were just there are just like like there's just a lot of infrastructure work that needs to be done in this space right now that just hasn't been done. Um, and like even basic things like like porting over to web to web 3.1.0 is like difficult uh, you know like oh. connecting to an infura node and and running like an event listener on infura is still impossible so like they might as well like, call it infuriating <laughs> yeah and that's the thing is like they're providing an awesome service and like and they're they are working as hard as possible it's just that everybody is racing to build stuff and there's mm -hmm. just a lot of complexity right now that that people are not able to deal with so um the next thing for us is uh, we're we're getting like we have money. I think it's literally being deployed right now, um, and uh, and then and then immediately after that, for the next four weeks, uh, we're going to be racing to to build out um, 
uh, Hashlocks, uh, multi-hop transactions, and then hub as a service. So basically letting other entities set up their own hubs. So in that way, they like all of the users within their ecosystem can connect to their hub and transact with each other for free using state channels. Um, and I think that that is like that when we when that is ready, that is the point where I think there's there's like a handful of entities have already reached out to us saying that's what they really need. So that's that's the goal. Awesome. And, and do you have any sort of partners that you're working with right now to try and figure out like how these deployments will work and trying to like test these in different like test net environments or just to just just to make sure like kind of you're going on the right track? Yeah. Um, so we we have a we have a pretty close relationship with Spankchain. Uh, we like I, I've known Amin for a really long time. He's probably one of the first people that I met in the space, and I like really like I have cannot overstate the amount of amazing advice that I have gotten from him, um, especially regarding. He's awesome. Yeah, he's he's an awesome dude, um, and uh, and especially regarding like state channels and things like that. It's it's been phenomenally helpful. So, so we hopefully we'll we'll be working closely with them. Uh, that's that's the goal at least. The uh, uh, we've we've spoken to a few other entities in the space as well. Uh, I think it's one of those things where like I, I don't know to what extent like they want to like officially say that we're working together until like we really like figure out how implementation will work and whether it's going to be useful for them. Um, so I don't know to what extent I can talk about it. Um, <laughs> no, uh, we, we just want to we just want to know that you're out there and you're gunning it and you're like you're you're dog fooding your own stuff to ensure that I mean obviously testing unit testing all those things are they make sense. However, you know finding projects early on where your scalability utility can have traction is also very important to get adoption by developers, right? Because they're trying to ease. Um, the implementation process for developers. So by working with other developers and making sure you actually do solve those pain points in a, um, a clear and concise manner is important, right? Yeah, and that's that's and those are the sorts of things that we're we're really looking at doing is finding like good, easy to understand ways to to implement state channels that people will just pick up. Um, you know, Money Shot is is a good example of something that like is intuitively makes sense. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> Well, you know, we had we have good advisors who gave good suggestions for the name. I don't know who would have told you. I don't know who would have told you the name. Oh, that, but who <laughs> came up with that name? I have no idea. <laughs> um, but yeah, so so uh, you know, one of the things that we're really interested in is is integrating Dai into into Money Shop because then it really starts to look a lot like Venmo. Um, uh, you know, if we have if you have Dai payments and then if you have like it's based on a hub, then that means you can invite all of your friends to Money Shot and transact DAI to each other for free, um, and however small amounts that you want. Uh, and and then you can go and build more stuff on top of that. And that's that's a that's a really cool uh, way to just get a flavor of, of the power of, of, you know, easy to integrate payment channels. So now, because uh, because of what you're doing and what you just said, I, I, I automatically see this as an opportunity for people who are looking into plasma as a scaling solution to look into what you're doing to become that off chain way of handling all the transactions that then link into the underlying um, Ethereum smart contracts. Right. It, it seems as though, because one die is working with Omise go and their plasma implementations to then scale their network. And if you want to do things like what you're doing, I feel like there's a nice kind of, family of technologies that are enabling off-chain solutions here. And if you can have a standardized way 
of doing the off-chain transactions and then doing then figuring out how you make the connection from the off-chain relationship to the on-chain relationship then you have enabled a lot of business that can work in a very trustless environment for cheap if it, and, and, and efficiently, right? So, like, yep. I, don't, I don't know if you've worked with them and you, you're kind of reluctant to say that you're working with them. In, <laughs> or if you haven't, you probably should be. Yeah, um, and that, that's something that we've, we've kind of talked about. Um, it's one of those things where, again, a uh, small team, we mm-hmm. don't sleep uh, so it's, <laughs> Can't it's uh, they really don't sleep yeah <laughs> we uh we've we've kind of been focused exclusively on on like the state channel stuff just because um we know we can get that out the door quickly because we have state channels advisors and we have all this like boilerplate to that we can work with um and and good companies to like iterate with um uh, that being said i think that's kind of the the goal is to find ways to integrate with those as well um there's no reason why, like, I don't, I don't think that any of the scaling solutions are competitors at all. And I, I, I actually get that question uh, quite a bit is like, you know, what, what, ha- like, isn't like plasma better for this sort of stuff and this sort of, and, and yeah, it's true. There's scalability is certain... not competitive at all. It's, that doesn't even make yeah. it in. That's it's weird a argument beautiful synergy. Scalability benefits everyone. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's yeah. synergy. <laughs> uh, exactly. Like it covers separate use cases and you can layer state channels on top of plasma for even more scaling, which is always awesome. Um, but yeah, that's that is something that I think we're very interested in exploring is uh, is talking to those entities and seeing, hey, like, is there a way for us to collaborate on this stuff? And and maybe is there even a way for us to build the exact sort of routing technology that you would need to decide, hey, which in this certain specific instance or this type of transaction or this type of DAP, like, is it better to to have this stuff go through a state channel or is it better to have this be classified? Um, yeah, like you don't need a plasma chain for everything. Very in a similar regard as you don't need to like build an entire company and raise startup money in Silicon Valley just to build a web app, yeah. right? So if you want to build something sensible and you want to point that to the Ethereum blockchain and use it for some novel use case, you should be able to just do that through something like Escalate instead mm-hmm. of having to actually deploy an entire plasma network. <laughs> yep, exactly. <laughs> so lowering yeah. the, lowering those barriers to entry for more developers means more more speculative innovation. So I'm all for that. Uh, well, the end well, goal is some sort of, you know, like Uber size, uh, like Airbnb sized DAP that is using a combination of like state channels and Plasma and other scaling solutions um, to serve, you know, thousands of transactions a second and, and do so at like no cost. That, that's really the absolute ideal. Well, well, let's just go ahead and close it up and leave it there because it doesn't get much better than that. Um, so so uh, what, what we'll do is uh, I would lo- love for you to have uh, a chance to come back on the show once you guys have actually deployed onto a few projects. Um, maybe it'll be Spank Chain, maybe it'll be Scent, maybe it'll be another one of these other projects out there. But I'm really excited about what you're working on because, you know, again, you know, my, my shtick is lowering barriers to entry. And if everyone's always competing in order to like deliver that experience uh, in a in a different uh, uh, different way uh, that's differentiated from from the rest of the ecosystem and the directions that are handed in, which is basically what you guys are doing, like there was a lot of noise around what your project was, how you were approaching it, quote unquote, containerizing the state channels themselves for for you know ease of deployment. Like that's great. And, and the feedback that I got publicly from that was and that I heard was. This is really interesting. I'm surprised that like nobody had like thought to like tackle this yet. And that's the great thing about our Ethereum is 
we're literally figuring out what shit we can do every single day. It's just so generalized. And so it just takes getting enough smart people in the room to worrying that these are these problems. And the best way to find problems is to talk to product, excuse me, talk to consumers Mm -hmm. and to talk to individuals building the products to understand what their pain points are. So we're not all just building a bunch of tools and utilities and infrastructure that might not have an end user. but so again, so thank you for your time, Rajun. Thank you for teaching us about Connects and Escalate. And you know, hopefully, uh, when you guys is uh, you have like a tutorial coming out or something like that for Money Shot, right? Uh, yeah, yeah, we do. Um, yeah. So definitely something to look out for. Okay, cool. So I'll try and include that. If that's out when this goes live, I'll put that in the show notes. If not, I'll just update it accordingly once it is. And then, so if you're a developer and you're looking to kind of experiment with scaling dApps, uh, improving the ecosystem as a whole, making things better for consumers, because ultimately that helps adoption. Reach out to Arjun. Um, do you have like an email, Arjun, that maybe yeah. people can reach out to you? If uh, you're a company and you're looking to scale, probably make a good reason to send you a note. Yeah, uh, just uh, founders at connects.network. All right, and connects is C-O-N-N-E-X-T, right? Yep, yep. All right, cool, excellent. Well, thank you very much, Arjun. June. Thanks for educating all of us, and best of luck with your scalability project. I hope it's fruitful. Thanks for more reasons than one, obviously. <laughs> Thanks for having me, guys. I appreciate it. No problem, man. You have a great day. Take care. Bye. This episode of Block Channel was brought to you by MakerDAO. MakerDAO and their team are the creators of the Dai stablecoin. The Dai stablecoin allows developers and investors to collateralize their Ethereum in return for a non-fluctuating stable asset. The DAI that they can then use to interact as a medium of exchange for payments or for developers to create more legacy-like UI UXs for their consumers who are used to spending assets that are non-fluctuating in value. To learn more about the MakerDAO and their project, the DAI, check out our links in the show notes below. I just need a little mercy, mercy Your make believe. I just need a little mercy. Oh, mercy on me.